0: to be here with you this morning. And if I could just put a plug in for this evening, if it's not your habit to to be back on a Sunday evening service, I want to invite you to come back to be able to uh, meet you and greet you. You know the partnership that we have, that we've had with you through prayer is of vital importance to us as uh, missionaries serving God in Spain. And, And if you could come back this evening, Uh, to get to know us better and allow us to get to know you better. What a partnership of prayer uh, that would be for us uh, and what a blessing it would be for the mission of the church in reaching the nations for Christ. And so I invite you to come back this evening. Well, I also invite you this morning to take your copy of uh, God's Word and uh, open with me. I'm going to share with you, actually, you know, as we sang uh, these hymns, This morning it's a wonderful thing to see how God uh, Just works things out according to his providence Uh, We sang about God's uh, Christ's atoning death We sang about uh, the temptations that we encounter And the struggles and the wrestling that we do Oh in our Christian faith in the second one And then we certainly sang of the promises of God In Christ Jesus And the hope that we have And uh, those Three hymns <laughs> contain the message that I want to—that God has laid on my heart to share with you from the book of Hebrews. But before we turn to the book of Hebrews, I just to kind of uh, give rest to our minds, oftentimes when we come out of a worship time and just to jump into a message, we allow God's word again, even as we've heard it from Matthew, to give a rest to our minds and to focus us in what God has for us today. So I would like to invite you. Take your copy of God's Word this morning and open to uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, familiar verses, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and I don't know where your heart is today, God knows where you are, but I need to be honest with you, Uh, I want God's Word to work in our hearts this morning, and God may have, it may have already been working in someone's heart today today to follow Christ in missions. You're never too old to be a missionary, and you're never too young. Um, and maybe God is working in your heart to call you to go and to serve Him maybe in a foreign land. Um, may God be, be, be praised in that in that working, in His, his working in our hearts. Well, Genesis chapter 12, verses... 1 to 3, we read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We even see in that call of Abraham the great tension that there is in life. The tension between blessing and cursing in the life of the church. If you would follow me now to Genesis chapter 23. I'd just like to read just one verse for us before we jump into Hebrews yeah. epistle to to the Hebrews. Genesis chapter 23. And if I jump into Spanish, forgive me, because I'm accustomed to preaching in Spanish, and oftentimes I may interject a Spanish word here and there. Um, Genesis chapter 23, verse 3. We know that Abraham had been called by God to go to the and, and given these, a great, these great promises of God. He sojourned in the land of promise and yet this is what he said as he was wanting to bury his dead, wanting to bury Sarah. And speaking to the Hittites, he says in verse 4, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Abraham understood and acknowledged that he was a sojourner. We might use the word pilgrim in this world. Well, let's turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, and we're going to look at a text in chapter 11. And God's word always comes to us in a context. And I always enjoy putting things in context. And as we know, if if you're familiar with with the epistle to the Hebrews, Hebrews is actually a brief word of exhortation. (laughs) It's a word of exhortation to us. And as we read even the the verses that we're going to consider this morning, we're going to find that it is a word of exhortation to us, to God's church, to God's people today. Well, let us read Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 8 to 16, though I will just focus on verses 13 to 16. And we read again, and we're reminded of the words that we've read. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, Therefore, from one man and in him as good as dead were born descendants of as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, And may we have ears this morning to hear what God has to say to us. Actually, the book of Hebrews, one of the emphases in the book of Hebrews is the, that God is speaking. God is speaking. In fact, Hebrews begins, if, if you can be patient with me, before diving into uh, this, this wonderful text in Hebrews chapter 11. The book of Hebrews it even begins in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, telling us that God is speaking. He is speaking to us today. Chapter 1, verse 2. We're reminded, but in these last days, God, He has spoken to us by His Son. God is speaking. And then as we come even to the, the, sort of to the end of this brief exhortation, in chapter 12, verse 25. Now in the book of Hebrews, God speaks through His Son, we'll find throughout the book of Hebrews that He speaks through His Spirit. And then we come to chapter 12, verse 25, and He says, See that you do not refuse Him who, sp- who is speaking. In the present tense. For if they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject Him who warns heaven. And then he cites from the book and the prophet Haggai about the fact that he will shake the earth now. He shook the mountain before, but now he will even shake the heavens and the earth. Let us not refuse the one who is speaking. Well, let us look now, then. And as we consider, as we've seen even from Genesis, and we will see in our text, uh, Abraham acknowledged that he was a sojourner. He was a pilgrim in this, in this world. And when we think of missions, when we think of missions, and we, have, and we want to let the scriptures speak to us, but, but when we think of Christians, nominal Christianity, nominal Christianity is the greatest threat to world evangelization. Hebrews is a brief exhortation as I understand the message of Hebrews, against the subtle influences that can draw us as God's people into nominal Christianity. That's not to say as nominal nominal Christians deny the atoning work of Christ. If we read Hebrews, that's the one thing that he is emphasizing, that Christ is very God, and yet very man. He emphasizes the priesthood of Christ and the atoning work of Christ as the foundation of the Christian life. And as the foundation, as we will look and see in our text today, um, foundation of living the life of Pilgrimage. Living a life of pilgrimage. Well, the Christian community in which uh, these first words were these these words were first written to, uh, in some ways, like we sang in our second hymn this morning. Uh, in some ways, we can identify with them. Perhaps in many ways, the Christian community to whom Hebrews was first written was in a crisis of faith. They were in a crisis of faith and practice. In light of ongoing persecution for their faith in Christ, they were in danger of falling into nominal Christianity. We find in Hebrews, again, context is so important. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 and 12 Actually, chapters 5 and chapter 6 really give us the sort of the context of of this this church that this writer of Hebrews was writing to. But we find this, this danger of falling into nominal Christianity. We find a church that was so on fire because of their Christian faith that they were willing to endure hardship. And yet, over time, we find, again, you remember, we need to listen to the voice of God. That's the emphasis, one of the emphasis in Hebrews. But listen to what the writer says to this group of believers in chapter 5, verse 11. As he's speaking of the atoning work of Christ, of the priesthood of Christ, previously in chapter 5, he says about this very thing, about this very doctrine of the priesthood of Christ, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. The trials of life have caused caused this congregation and I think can cause us today as his congregation to become dull of hearing, to become dull of hearing. The things that were important to God were no longer important to all of them. The Lord remembered their past works and love for his name in serving others, and some of them had forgotten. The writer reminds them of God's remembrance. In in chapter 6, verse 10, again, in this very important section of Hebrews, he says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, And the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. Yet some have forgotten. Some had forgotten. And they were pulling back from living their faith. And no longer gave open testimony of their faith and hope in Christ. They became dull of hearing. And instead of being teachers and proclaiming Christ, they began to pull back. The believers were discouraged. We're moving closer to our text. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, tells us, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, the writer says, to this group of believers, which has a great reward. Some had begun to waver. In fact, some have began to waver in their commitment and neglecting even to meet as a worshiping community. And for that reason, we have another exhortation in verse 23 and 25 of chapter 10 in which the writer exhorts them, "'Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works,' Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Some have lost their confidence. And they were neglecting to meet together as a worshiping community. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews puts before the congregation that he was writing to and puts before us this morning the promise of God. He who promised is faithful. Hebrews addresses the danger of nominal Christianity, of falling back, becoming dull of hearing, enjoying perhaps the benefits of Christ, and yet not on fire for Christ, not willing to announce him to others, and not willing to see his gospel go out to the nations. Hebrews exhorts the church to embrace God's call upon their lives and to live as pilgrims, as sojourners, as foreigners in the world. Hebrews calls the church to set her hope on the promised kingdom. The promised hope. The pilgrim life of the church fuels world evangelization in the advance of the gospel among the nation. A perspective that is easily lost. Easily lost in the midst of life's challenges in the urgencies of our day. Beloved, it. it is with this exhortation <laughs> to be a pilgrim that we come to our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 to 16. And what we will see here in verse 13, 13, we will see an enduring faith an enduring faith that testifies to a life of pilgrimage. In verses 14 and 15, we'll speak of a lasting, or not a lasting, but a present life perspective that models a life of pilgrimage. And then we'll see finally in verse 16, a lasting desire that characterizes a life Of pilgrimage, and remember, it's the life of pilgrimage in the church as a people of God that fuels world evangelization in the advancement of the gospel among the nations. Well, Hebrews chapters eleven, verses thirteen and sixteen speaks of the patriarchs mentioned in the previous verses, which which we read also verses eight through uh, through eleven. All these were still living in faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Seeing them from a distance, they lived as strangers and exiles in the world. They set their hope on a heavenly homeland, homeland, prepared for them by God. The author uses vocabulary in our text this morning that emphasizes the life of pilgrimage. And before we jump into these details, I want us to see these important words. The first word is in verse thirteen. It's the word "greeted" in my text, where it says that having seen them, these promises, and greeted them from afar, greeted them. The word "greeted" implies an embracing of the promises a clinging to what was promised with love and delight. And then we see a word in verse 14, the word seeking in my my text, which we read in verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And this word seeking speaks of a mind settled upon what was promised. It shows that they lived in light of future blessing. And then we find a third word in verse 16. It's the word desire. In verse 16, we read, but as it is, they they desire a better country. And this word desire implies that these who died in faith did not live life with regret and complaint during their pilgrimage. The word denotes a longing. It denotes an intense expectation, a lasting desire. And so we have in these verses, verses 3 through 16, which is really a summary, a summary of the life of the patriarchs that we have in verses 8 through 11. It's a summary. And with this summary statement, the writer leaves no doubt that the life of faith is a life of pilgrimage. The Christian life is not a life focused on earth and on this present life. The life of faith is a life of pilgrimage whose destination is not in this life, but in the one promised by God. And so we see in verse 13 what I've entitled an enduring faith that testifies to a life of pilgrimage to this first congregation and to us today from the life of those who died in faith. Verse 13 reads, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them afar, seeing them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the earth. The patriarchs are commended for having lived and died in faith. They persevered in faith to the end. It's important that we understand that they did not live a life of self-effort. They did not live their faith in the flesh. They did not live a life of self-effort based upon their own merit to achieve the end promised. In fact, the reader of Hebrews, which I've already mentioned, rehearses for them the priesthood of Christ. His vicarious death, his atoning death, his substitutionary death on the cross as the basis, as the foundation for an obedient faith. We never lose our dependence upon Christ. In fact, the broader context of chapter 11, in the broader context of verse 8, we understand that the life of faith begins with a divine intervention. Right? We read in verse, in verse 8, as we read in Genesis, by faith Abraham obeyed when? When he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. When the Lord is pleased to reveal his grace to those whom he has called, they hear his call and obey. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. The obedient faith is the life-changing work of the Spirit of Christ by which we begin the life of pilgrimage. The Christian life is a life of pilgrimage. The life of pilgrimage fuels world evangelization. Abraham responded to God's call upon his life. He was called to go out to a place. And here I want to bring to remembrance many of us here may be familiar with the Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Christian in the story of Pilgrim Progress is a pilgrim because God saved him out of the city of destruction. That's what made him a pilgrim. God's initiative in the life of a Christian. And like Abraham, all God's people are called out of this world to follow Christ in pilgrimage. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 13 to 14, he's calling that congregation out to the little life of pilgrimage, where he says, Therefore, let us go out to him, let us go out to Christ, outside the camp, and bear the reproach. He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We are called out to a life of pilgrimage. If Hebrews verse 11, chapter 11, verse 8, makes a connection between faith and obedience, the text that we're looking at this morning makes a connection between faith and suffering. Faith and suffering. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. It speaks of suffering because the congregation there was suffering for the sake of Christ. And we suffer also in our way. It's the hardships and the disappointments of life that often cause us to forget that we have been called out by God to set our eyes on things promised by God. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3 tells us if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, verse 32 Fear not, little ones, fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The enduring faith of the patriarchs testifies patriarchs testifies to a life of pilgrimage. And the emphasis in, the, in this very first verse, verse 13, falls really on the word in faith. In fact, if we look at the original language, it's in faith. <laughs> According to faith, all these died. The emphasis falls on in faith. These words imply a life lived according to faith, according to faith, a conviction that sees what is not seen. Which Hebrews chapter eleven begins with the words, "Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen." That's living in faith. What were these promises not yet received by those who died in faith? What were these promises by which they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth? Certainly, they were the promises of a place and an inheritance. Yet Hebrews has us understand that they did not set their hopes on a piece of real estate. For the death would have made their faith vain. They did not receive it. Death is a terrible finality that can frustrate our plans and our ambitions if our hopes are set on things here on earth. Rather, we find in verse 10 that Abraham was looking, it says, Forward to a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. In verse 16, we're told that that they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, a heavenly one. Matthew, Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Our text tells us that the patriarchs had seen and greeted the things promised from afar. Now we need to ask ourselves, how can that be? How can that be? Well, we need to turn to the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, as Jesus was interacting with the Pharisees, a group of people, religious people, who had forgotten their past redemption and the promises of God and argued and disputed with him. And they accuse him and say, Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? Certainly they forgot that Abraham died in faith. And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus, in this context of discussion with them and conversation, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham had seen and greeted the promise of Christ because he firmly believed in the promises of God. Abraham knew by faith that the fulfillment of God's promise would come only through the Christ. For that reason, he's put forward as the father of faith, and we're encouraged follow him in his example to us what was distance what was far in the distance for the for for the patriarchs we find in the prophets slowly became nearer right through the promises and then we find in the book of Malachi the prophet Malachi that actually the promise would come suddenly the promised one would appear And we have him in Christ, Jesus our Lord. In fact, in the broader context of Hebrews, when we come to the end of chapter 11, we find that even those who lived in the land of promise, as we come to the end of this fabulous chapter and you're mentioning people like David, Samuel, those who lived in the land of promise, in verse 39 we receive, and all these, though commended through faith, through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God provided something better for them, for us, for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The promises they understood in some, uh, by God's grace and the working of God's word in their lives, they understood that the promises would be fulfilled through the Christ. Through Christ. You know, when the word when the word when the church lives in light of God's word of promise, she lives a life of mission. She lives a life of mission to the nations. And we could look in the book of Romans and see how even when Paul is speaking of the life of justification by faith, again he puts forward Abraham before them. And he brings the idea of promise. He says, For the promised Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Life lived according to the principle of faith is a life of mission. And in saying that, Paul's intention was to show that God has a nation of people in mind and he wants his word to go out to the nations. Many of us, if not all of us, like the patriarchs, we will die before the final Fulfillment of the word of promise occurs. There's a gentleman that wrote a book, Jason Stellman. He wrote a book, Dual Citizenship, Worship and Life Between the Already and Not Yet. And this is what he says. He says, believers must take careful account, therefore, of the degree to which their faith and piety are this worldly. Many Christians today pay lip service to heaven while their true focus is on earth. Hebrews calls us to live a life of pilgrimage and to set our eyes and our hope on the promised that is before us. And as we come to uh, verse 4, I know I'm looking at the clock here and I'm thinking, oh my. But uh, as we come to our next verse in this text first we have seen an enduring faith testifies to the life of pilgrimage the patriarchs and our brothers and sisters who have died before us if they have died in faith they are a testimony to us every one of them of the faithfulness of God's promise Well, we find also in verses 14 and 15 what I have called a present life perspective that models a life of pilgrimage in verses 14 and 15. Verses 14 and 15 bring the confession that we looked at in verse 13. It brings that confession of the patriarchs into our experience as New Testament believers, as New Covenant believers. Because it's it, a switch. It brings it. It's in the present now. Okay? The patriarchs had it clear that they sought a heavenly homeland. Yet the present tense in verse 14 brings it home to the first audience and to the church today when he says, for people who speak thus, that, that's to say, we're supposed to speak like the patriarchs. Right? We are sojourners in this world. This is not our home. So he says he brings it home to us. He wants, it to, bring, he wants to bring it into, into our reality. He says, For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. A present life perspective that models a life of pilgrimage So, do our lives model does the life of the church model a life of pilgrimage a present life perspective of pilgrimage in fact the apostle Peter also refers to the believers of uh, the new covenant the believers in Christ as pilgrims when he says to them in 1st Peter 2 11 it's well beloved I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of his visitation. A present life perspective that models a life of pilgrimage. And according to verse 15, we read that those who speak in this way are not thinking of that land from which they had gone out, with regards to the Pope, the Patriarchs. For if they were, they would have had an opportunity to return. The constant experience of alienation, rejection, ridicule for our faith in Christ provides for us today ample reason innumerable arguments and opportunities to abandon our hope and live like non-believers around us to focus on the same things they focus on to live for the same things they live for in fact the people of Israel in their unbelief forgot their past redemption and did not trust the word of promise God had given them. In fact, Hebrews, as we read chapters 3 and 4, we find that we, like those, like Israel in the wilderness, are, in fact, in a wilderness. We are between a past redemption and a future hope. God's charge against the Israelites in the wilderness was that they longed to return to Egypt. We read that in Numbers. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. They, have for- they have forgot. <laughs> it didn't cost them nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, they wanted to return because they had forgotten their past redemption and they no longer believed the hope, the promise that God had given them. The hardships along their journey was reason enough to return to slavery. In our pilgrimage, like Christian in John Bunyan's story, Pilgrim's Progress, we meet with innumerable reasons to abandon our sojourning. To the heavenly city. And surprisingly, a desire to return to the city of destruction. <laughs> surprisingly, to live as we lived before we knew Christ. Those who have no hope. Well, these verses in verses 14 and 15 exhort us to live a present life perspective that models a life of pilgrimage. A major theme, as I mentioned before in Hebrews, is that we uh, live... Well, let me say a major theme in Hebrews is that every believer lives in a situation similar, as I mentioned, to that of God's people in the wilderness, in which they live between a past redemption and a promised rest, between the promise of eternal inheritance and its fulfillment. We can choose between two ways of living as believers... We can live in faith and obedience, or we can live in mistrust and unbelief. The people in the wilderness had to decide how to respond to God's promise in the midst of adversity and affliction in the wilderness. We find in verse 13 that death itself did not deter the patriarchs from living according to the principle of faith as strangers and exiles in the world. The idea of pilgrimage is brought to bear upon the church even clearly. You know, if we, we don't have time today, but to read, if you read through Hebrews chapters 3 and 4, the writer of Hebrews brings that experience in the wilderness to them. <laughs> in the same tensions that the people in the wilderness lived, they lived. The tensions between blessing and cursing. The tensions between a faith of obedience or a distrust and unbelief. There are a multitude of voices clamoring and beckering and competing for our attention that want to drag us away from setting our hope on the eternal inheritance promised in Christ Jesus, that want to undermine our trust in God's Word of promise and that want to destroy our faith by discrediting the truth of the gospel and we need to decide which voice are we going to listen to we live in a we live in a context where uh, social media uh, screams at us will we listen to the voice of god in his word there's a multitude of voices That speak to us. Verses 12 and 13, 13 and 14 warn us uh, to take careful account of our hearts and the hearts of one another. We're not in this pilgrimage alone. We need to encourage one another. Why does still call today? Why it is still called today. We need one another in our pilgrimage and our testimony. So we find in these verses, in Hebrews 11, verses 14 and 15, we discover that pilgrimage is characteristic of the obedient people of God. So we've seen an enduring faith that testifies to a life of pilgrimage and a present life perspective that models a life of pilgrimage. And finally, in verse 16, a lasting desire that characterizes a life of pilgrimage. The object of of our, you know, the object of our desire reveals uh, the longings of our heart. Isn't that true? And the longings of our heart reveals what we really worship. James warns us against worldly desires in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, when he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions? Is not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. Yet Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 16, tells us that those who acknowledge that they are made for another world strive to keep alive in themselves the desire for a better country. We have to work at it so that it doesn't, as C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, it doesn't get snowed under. (laughs) Right? The verb desire, again, is what we see again in the context, in the present, historical present. The writer's bringing it home again. He's bringing, he's bringing it home to his first readers. He's bringing it home to us today. Right? Present tense, but as it is, they, okay, they in verse 14, which again, speaking to our experience, right, the people who speak thus, right, they, okay, by, by, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them prepared for them a city. As New Covenant believers, as New Testament believers, we live as sojourners. We live as sojourners. We live as pilgrims in this world, desiring a city prepared divinely, For us. (laughs) For us. What a joy to live life to the fullest under the favor of God. God was not ashamed to be called their God because they lived with a delight, a lasting desire for their heavenly home, for the city that God prepared for them. Not only does nominal Christianity endanger the mission of the church, it also dis- d- diminishes her joy. Her joy. Nominal Christians are not happy Christians. Paul longed for the city of God, the Apostle Paul. Yet although he desired this better country, he, he lived on mission in this world. Paul desired. Of course, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul desired his heavenly home. And yet, he lived a life of mission. Bringing the gospel to the nations. If we would have had time, we could read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 through five ten. But there Paul explain, explains that he's ready to spend his life to the point of exhaustion In even death for the sake of proclaiming Christ among the nations. Because he was firmly convinced of the objective reality of the promise of God, like the patriarchs. We read in 2 Corinthians 4.11, he says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, And yet those who we minister to, life. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He speaks of that house made for us as a building. (laughs) Building. We live in a tent now, but we have a building. Prepared for us. So he says in verse 6 through 9, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The patriarchs who lived and die, who died in faith. Right? Yes, we are of good courage, he says, and we would rather be away from the body. And at home with the Lord, he desired his heavenly home. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. As new covenant people of God, we live with the confidence of God's favor and grace. We are persuaded that God has prepared for us a city. Again, returning to John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, two friends obstinate and pliable, friends that we meet along the way in our own pilgrimage who sought to persuade Christian to return to the city of destruction. And Christian's response was, I seek an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, and is laid up in heaven, and safe there, to be bestowed bestowed at the time appointed on them that diligently diligently seek it, who have this lasting desire. And when they insisted, Christian responded, without doubt, no, because I have laid my hand to the plow. Beloved, may our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ give us grace to live with an enduring faith that testifies to a life of pilgrimage. That God would give us the grace to live with a present life perspective that models a life of pilgrimage. And finally, that he would give us grace that we would live with a lasting desire, a longing, intense longing that characterizes a life of pilgrimage. And living like that, as God's people, be a catalyst for world evangelization and world missions. May God bless his word. May God bless his church.